Hey everyone, he is risen, and you're supposed to say, he is risen indeed. Um, I wish I could hear you saying that today, um, and I want to invite you, five minutes after we're finished today, we're going to have a, a Zoom chat where we can see each other face to face, catch up for a few minutes, have prayer together, so I'd encourage you to join us. We'll have a link in the comments, whether it's on Facebook, we'll also have it on YouTube. Um, you know, one of the benefits of Church Online is that you can join us in complete anonymity. Like you, you can come and just kind of check us out, see what's going on. Um, if we were on a normal Sunday, I'd probably have you stand. All the visitors stand. <laughs> no, we, we don't do that. <laughs> but uh, I, would, I would love to know that, that you're joining us. And so there is a contact form, again, in the links. If you fill that out while we're live today, We'll donate five dollars to stop human trafficking, and we just want to know that, that you're with us, that you're worshiping with us, and it gets, helps us get to know you a little bit. And then when we conclude today, we're going to take communion together. And so, um, some some point while I'm speaking, if you want to go grab something, grab some bread, grab some juice if you have it. If, if not, water's fine. And we're going to conclude with communion when we're finished today. But um, so as we get started, I have a confession. I have a confession, and my confession is that uh, I don't feel very Eastery today. Like I don't, um, maybe it's the colder weather. I don't, I don't think it's that. Um, but it doesn't, like, uh, I don't know what you're gonna think of me for saying this, but it doesn't feel like at this point in history that Jesus has conquered much. Like we say, where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? And it's like death is, right outside the door saying, hey, I'm right here. Like I'm, I'm, at, I'm at your neighbor's house. I'm across the street. If you're asking where I, I, death is here. And, um, and so it, it just it doesn't, it doesn't feel like Easter. We've had people in our church this week who have, have lost loved ones. We've had, I, I know of at least one person in Aurora who's passed away from COVID, who's a, a family member of someone in our church. Uh, someone else's uh, sister passed away from, from cancer. So it doesn't feel like Easter. Besides that, I want, I want to be with my church family today. Like, uh, there's just things about Easter. There's a, just a heightened sense of expectation when we join for Easter to celebrate Jesus. Um, there's, you know, we, we get dressed up. Uh, we have the, the photo booths and the Easter egg hunts. I was looking forward to the, the brightly colored hats that we have in our church on Easter. And I wanted, when I said, He is risen, I wanted to be able to hear you say, He is risen indeed. Um, well, so I wonder, and you, you're probably feeling some of that too, what are, what's the Easter tradition that you are missing the most this Easter? Um, like, um, if, if you want to throw that in the comments, share that with, with one another. Um, but maybe, maybe it's just me, but it just, it just doesn't feel like, like, like Easter. Um, I, mean, I can't even be with my parents today for fear of this virus, for fear of this pandemic. And, you know, not, not all fear is bad. Not, not all fear is bad. And I just want to give you a, just a gentle encouragement. If, if you've been posting on social media that uh, COVID, you know, it's not that bad. Um, I encourage you to, to stop. <laughs> stop doing that. Because a proper amount of fear is healthy. Uh, a proper amount of fear keeps us from, from getting into trouble. It's why uh, vehicle insurance is more expensive for teenage boys. Right, because uh, in boys, especially the, the part of the brain that, that uh, tells boys they should fear is not fully developed until age 25. 
And so for, and for some, it's, it's longer than that. And, and so they're prone to more accidents and getting into trouble because they don't have that uh, brain capacity yet to say, fear, fear, stop, stop. Um, so sometimes fear, fear can be a, a good thing. Um, if, if I brought you some cookies and I told you, hey, these are homemade, uh, they're, they're really good, only two of them are poisonous. Like only two of them can kill you. Like you're not going to eat those uh, because of, of fear. And uh, one of my friends this week posted a graphic showing that COVID-19 is is 98.5 percent. So pretty high, 98.5% non-lethal. And and I appreciate what he was trying to do, bring some encouragement and be like, hey, like we're we're gonna get through this. But if you look closer at the 98.5%, like that number, it, it's not that great. You compare it to the, the common flu, which is 99.99% non-fatal. So just in a simple comparison, uh, COVID is about 14 or 15% uh, or 14, 15 times more deadly than the common flu. Um, and so on, on average, about 50,000 people die in the U.S. from the flu. Uh, every, every year, 50,000. So if you multiply that even at a lower number, say COVID is just 10 times more deadly, that's half a million people could potentially die this year from COVID. Um, and that, that's using light numbers. And I know not everybody's been tested and so things will change, but a proper amount of fear is, is healthy. And this, this virus is highly contagious. You, you can't decide if you're going to get it or not. And if you do get this virus, you don't decide what kind of symptoms you're going to have. You don't get to decide if it's going to be mild symptoms or if it's going to be in ICU on a ventilator. We, we don't get to decide. And so we, we're practicing social distancing because we love one another. We love our neighbors. And so, so far, we've had four weeks of social distancing. More to come. I mean, it looks like it's going to be at least four, maybe six, uh, eight weeks. We, we just we don't know. Uh, people have lost jobs. We have six family members. There's, there's no end in sight. And, and now we come to the high holy day of our Christian faith, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And this Easter, this Easter is a, it's a struggle. It, it is a struggle. And if you're feeling that this morning, um, you've got company. I'm not gonna say you're, you're in good company, but you've got company, you are not alone. And um, if you're wondering if I struggled on what I was gonna share this morning, yeah, and for my upper Midwest friends, you betcha. Like, uh, this, this was a struggle, and so what do, what do we say? What, what do we do? And I think we have to go back, go back to our roots. We, we want to remind ourselves of this incredible Jesus movement that we're a part of, and how it got started, and how God is bringing redemption into the world. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It's kind of the, the classic resurrection passage in Scripture. And this is uh, the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to some believers um, in the church in Corinth. And he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this is top priority. In our faith. First importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that 
he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. And when we come to Scripture, we always want to read Scripture in context. Uh, and not just Scripture, any, any work of literature. You want to know the context. And so context is things like, who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? Uh, where, where do they live? What's, what's the culture like? What culture like? What are um, like on people's minds? What's on their, on their hearts? How do they live? Where do they live? What was the political situation? What was the economic situation? And I want to look at the historical context of the New Testament in, in general. Uh, and I, I just think it's helpful to know what it was like in the first century in uh, the eastern part of the Roman Empire, in Palestine, around Jerusalem, Corinth. Um, do, you, do you know what life was like? Here's just a, a spoiler alert. Not good. Not easy. Life was not easy. So just, uh, just do a brief survey of what life was like. If you lived, if you could take yourself back to the first century. So most, most people in the first century were just barely getting by. They, they got food, clothing, shelter. Like if you had that, you were doing okay. Uh, they, they depended on the seasonal rains, and if the rains didn't come, then it meant that a famine could come. And so when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, like that's a real prayer. Like we don't know where we're getting our meal tomorrow. Uh, it's been a dry season, it's been a, um, the, the crops didn't come through, or, or a plague of locusts came through. Like, we, we don't know. So that was a real prayer in the first century. Uh, for most people, in one way or another, they're involved in, in agriculture. You may have your own land, but, but probably not. You, you're probably working for, for somebody else. Um, and so just the average Jew at this time was a farmer, had a small plot of land, and they just went through, the, they went through life, the seasons of life winter, spring, summer, fall, and they would do it again the next year. Um, they usually got up before the sun. They, they dressed in, in just simple clothes and leather sandals, um, and they, they would sometimes take their morning meal with them to work. And it, it wasn't a luxurious meal. I mean, bread was the main staple, whether you're talking. They, they usually only had two meals a day. You know, the, the first meal of the day was bread and maybe some olives, uh, a piece of cheese, like goat cheese, something along those lines. Uh, later in the day, they have a little bit more substantive dinner, uh, maybe a vegetable stew, uh, bread again, fruit, eggs, cheese. Uh, fish was pretty common, but not red meat. Red meat was only for those uh, very special occasions. And, and then uh, I read that, they, that locust was a delicacy and, and tasted like shrimp. Of course, the Jews didn't know that because they wouldn't eat shrimp. Because it was an unclean food, but they, they had they had locusts. Um, taxes, fifty percent generally uh, in the first century, uh, in in Jerusalem, which was a cause of, of great financial uh, destitution, and, and in fact would lead people into uh, less savory means of of finding an income because they, they didn't have money, and the money that they did have have was taxed so so heavily. Uh, the lifespans were short. Uh, today, in comparison, in, in, in countries that have the best medical resources, an infant is 170 times more likely to survive than in the first century. 100. So, um, and, and different 
reports and studies that I looked at um, said that one in four infants in the first century, one in four, died in the first year. And that half died by the age of, um, you wrote down, by the age of 10. But if you lived to 10, you were, you know, you were doing all right. Like you can make it, expect uh, to make it maybe to the age of 50. About half of the people made it to 50 or older. So we had short lifespans, and, and that's even with the, the average um, uh, birth rate or was about uh, six children per woman. Uh, the average woman had about six children, which if, if infants weren't dying, would have led to the population tripling in the course of one generation. What we see in the first century and the centuries after that is the population basically stayed the same. Gradual upticks and then some sickness, a plague. Um, speaking of plagues, what about ancient medicine? And I am so thankful for modern medicine, uh, those who work in, in healthcare. Because uh, in, in the first century, there was no official medical training. There was no orthodox way of going about it. You could just put yourself out there as being a, a doctor. And, and people would come to you based on whether or not your previous patients had lived or died. Like that was what, what was used. And so there was just kind of a, a free-for-all. Uh, and most doctors, they knew that there was nothing they could do about brain injuries, nothing they could do about heart, liver issues, spine issues, your intestines, your kidneys, your arteries. And so if they suspected anything like that, they wouldn't touch you. Because if you died, well, then that, that tarnishes their, their career. Um, so it, it was tough to find, like everyone today were scrambling for, uh, for health insurance. You, you didn't want that insurance uh, back in the day. Uh, the cities, they smelled wretched. I've talked about this before on, on uh, some previous uh, teachings, but if you just Google stench of ancient Rome, stench of ancient Rome, you will find uh, just some very, very good descriptions. I think open markets, no refrigeration, their, the toilets, if they had toilets in their, in their homes, were like just cesspits, cesspit toilets. Think of having a, um, a porta potty in your house. That's what they had. And then once it was filled, somebody had to take it out by hand. Now, there were some places where they had uh, plumbing, but plumbing was, was all above ground. And you know what we call above ground plumbing? Above ground sewer? I call that a failure. Like nobody wants to see that running, running through the neighborhood. Um, so, um, so let's just let's just recap. Oh, I, one other thing about the medicine. There, there was one one doctor who was known at the time that he was in. He, he very much liked cabbage and the medicinal properties of cabbage, and uh, he thought cabbage was good for your digestive system, which which he was uh, correct in that. But he also thought that bathing a patient or baby in the urine of someone who had eaten a lot of cabbage was also beneficial. And that the fumes of boiled cabbage, if directed into the womb, could increase a woman's fertility. So that, that's uh, first century medicine for you. So let's, let's recap. We have a, uh, just a, a life that every day was a struggle. The work was often uh, menial. It was just very labor-intensive, not many comforts, not much food, high mortality rates, poor medicine, uh, threat of wars. I haven't even talked about the, the threat of revolution or the criminal justice system. No hope there. 
threat of famine, difficult work, that was the first century. And it's in this world that, that the Son of God comes. Jesus is born God in the flesh, and he, he lives among us, and he's, he's baptized, he's, uh, he's tempted, and then his ministry begins. And he, he goes around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, and then after three years, the, uh, he's, he's arrested, he, he faces injustice, his, his friends uh, turn on him, and he is, he is killed, and he is buried. And he rises from the dead on the third day. He rises from the dead on the third day, and do you know what happens after the resurrection? Do you know what happens um, like in, in the first century and in that area? Every day was still a struggle for survival. Every day uh, there was still not many comforts, still not much food, still threats of war, still threats of famine, still a high mortality rate. And in other words, that first Easter probably didn't feel like Easter either. The first Easter probably didn't feel like Easter either. There was nothing about that day, there was nothing extraordinary that happened besides Jesus got up from the grave. Um, and, and just because Jesus had been raised, it didn't magically change the disciples' situation. Uh, they still had the same Roman overlords. The, the Jewish leaders were still out uh, looking for them. And how did, how did Jesus' resurrection change his disciples' situation? I mean, practically, outwardly, not much. It, it didn't change their situation. Uh, one, one pastor I read recently put it like this. Uh, this is Pastor Melissa Bills is her name. She says, Jesus' resurrection didn't happen as a grand celebration in the midst of big crowds. He emerged from the tomb mostly alone, appeared to just a couple of women in a near-empty garden, and the witness of these women went on to spread beyond themselves to the disciples, to the ends of the earth. Jesus will rise even if we don't have front row seats for the event. Jesus will rise and I will proclaim it in a near empty sanctuary. And I will channel the women in the gospel and have every confidence that even one voice shouting hallelujah is enough for this news of hope to spread throughout the congregation, the community, and the world. Jesus does not need our help to rise. He just needs us to proclaim the good news. What I'm trying to get at is that the resurrection fits just as well in our current context as it did on that first Easter Sunday. What, what we're feeling today might, in fact, be what Easter is supposed to feel like. Mm. Um, Easter might fit our situation better this year than in any of the, the previous 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Our, our dark times are a reminder of why we need Easter. A reminder of why Jesus came. And, and now, more than ever, I have this longing for things in the world to be put right. Not, now, more than ever, I recognize my need for a Savior. I recognize how powerless I am. That, um, and that, that is the perfect place for the power of Easter Sunday, the power of the resurrection to come. And, and so how about you? How about you? Do, you? do you see your need for a Savior? Do you see your need for a Savior? Um, what, what I'm not trying to say is that the disciples themselves were the same. 
I'm not saying they weren't different. They were completely different. This, the resurrection changed their lives. They were never the same. And it was like they went from seeing the world in black and white to seeing it in color. Like everything made sense. The, the story of God and the rede his redemption in the world made sense. Um, and they, they had hope. Even in the midst of the first century uh, just grind. And, and it was a, a grind, a daily grind. Um, the, without Christ, all suffering is pointless. Without Christ, all suffering is pointless. So when we come to the New Testament, all the passages about having joy and peace through Jesus, about having hope in Jesus, should be read in the context of the first century, uh, like in the context in which they lived. And so when, when Paul in another place writes in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or Peter would write, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trial. Mm. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Mm. So, all of these uh, passages that we read about peace and hope and joy should be read through this historical context in mind. Now, over the years, especially uh, in my, my 20s, when I was wrestling with my faith, uh, Christian apologetics was, was really important to me about studying uh, the, reason, the reasonableness of our faith, uh, studying why we can trust that the resurrection happened. And it's still important, and it's, it's still valid. Um, but it seems like the older I get, what I lean on more is the testimony of people who have walked before me. Like those who have, who have just gone through some like things I will never go through. And they, and they overcame through their hope in Jesus. Uh, I mean, I think of the testimony of the black church and its growth in, in the midst of, of slavery. It's just one example. There was uh, an unnamed black preacher, and he spoke of, of Jesus and the cross this way. He said, bullocks couldn't do it. He's talking about ox. They had different terms back then. Heifers couldn't do it. The blood of doves couldn't do it. But up in heaven... For a thousand and thousand of years, the son was saying to the father, put up a soul, put up a soul, prepare me a body, and I will go on, go and meet justice on Calvary's brow. He went on to say, I see the sun when she turned herself black. I see the stars falling from the sky and them old Herods coming out of their graves and going about the city. And they knew twas the Lord of glory. Or the testimony of Josiah Henson, another slave, who came to faith when he was 18, he, he put it this way of his conversion. He said, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tasted death for every man, for the high, for the low, for the rich, for the poor, for the bond, the free, the Negro in his chains, the man in gold and diamonds. I stood and heard it. It touched my heart and I cried out, I wonder if Jesus Christ died for me. He found the answer was yes. Wow. 
yes, Jesus died for me. Uh, there was a book uh, written a few years ago called Beyond Suffering, Embracing the Legacy of African American Soul Care and Spiritual Direction Beyond Suffering, which might be a good read in our current, well, we, we find ourselves uh, in, these, in this pandemic. But they, they speak of this, the slaves who put their hope in Jesus. And, and this was their conclusion, is that when listening carefully, we detect sounds of hope. While enduring the outrage of being bought and sold and the attempted annihilation of their identity, the enslaved African Americans faced hurt candidly and unearthed hope spiritually. They coped with the heartbreak of relational separation through the hope of heavenly reunion. And they tackled the depersonalization of identity thievery with the awareness that they bore the image of God. Is, is Easter true? Yes, it's true. How do I know? How, it's because of the testimony of those who have gone before. Just listen to the story. So as we conclude, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians where we began. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, again says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. There's something about being able to stand on the gospel. There's, there's something about, about listening, again, to those who have, have struggled and those who have, who have overcome as we struggle with our own faith, our own doubts. Verse 2 says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. And then he tells us the simple gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Why did he die? For our sins. I mean, most, most people die, but very few are going to die for your sins. Verse 4 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There, there is no Christianity without the resurrection without Jesus being raised from the dead we have no church if the tomb is still occupied but Jesus did die he was buried and on the third day he rose again with all power in his hands if under different circumstances the title of my sermon would have been he got up he got up mm. the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith and and so that we're not over overwhelmed by the the prospect of death we are bold enough to assert that not only did Jesus rise, but when he rose, he conquered death. And so that we know that he has given us that same power that when we die, that we will rise again with him. And so death is, is not the end of the story. And uh, we, we don't gather on Easter to, to celebrate the, the crucifixion of Jesus as if that were the end. We're here because Jesus got up. And that, that gives us hope, because apart from the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus didn't literally, physically, get out of the grave, then uh, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to say that, that we Christians, of all people, should be pitied. Because mm. we, we put our hope in something that, where there is no hope. But since Christ has been raised, we are those who can look in the face of death. We are those who can get up on an Easter morning, even when it doesn't feel like a typical Easter and have hope and know that we have the final victory. And then at the end of the chapter, so this is this is a long chapter. You should read it, read it today, read it this week. But the, the last verse, verse 58, 
He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Yeah, that's good. Like the, uh, he, he goes through this whole exhortation of, of the, the gospel and Jesus uh, coming back to life. And at the end, he says, stand firm. Hold, hold on to this. No matter what it looks like in the first century, no matter what it looks like in the 21st century, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. I mean, thousands, thousands of years have passed, um, and there is so much that's different about our lives than the first century. In general, life is way better, way better for us, especially those of us in the United States. But there's, there's a lot that remains the same. People are, are born, they grow up, they learn, they work, most times have a family, contribute to society, and then we die. And the, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to the first century just like it speaks to the 21st century. It is just as relevant today for you and me as it was for those first believers. So my, my question as we conclude is have you put your trust in him? Have you put your hope in Jesus? Where, where is your hope? Uh, we're going to move to a, a time of communion in just a moment. And um, before we do that, Najee's going to lead us in a response song. I just want you to, uh, to reflect for a moment. And if you are a um, follower of Jesus or you've walked with Jesus for a time, and, and today doesn't feel like Easter, you don't, like I started, it feels like death is right outside the door, just, just kind of mocking us today. I want you to stand firm. Stand firm in your faith and, and look to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he overcame death, hell, and the grave for you. That he came for you because he loved you beyond measure. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus and you just happened to, maybe a friend shared this video or a family member you're gathered together and you're watching, Today is the day when you can put your hope in Jesus. So as Najee plays for a moment um, this old hymn that uh, I think for many of us we, we might have grown up hearing, would you just take a moment and reflect on what you've heard and on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Um,